Welcome to season one of the Storied Living Podcast. This podcast is dedicated to the engagement of story, specifically helping you engage with your story. In season one, we're going to be talking about beginnings. I'll offer a map of how to track yourself as you're moving through how to heal through story. And you'll also get to meet several of the people who have been influential in my life as I have moved through the category of story. We will be rotating between content and interviews. And I hope that this invites you to be more curious and more compassionate toward your own story. I hope it invites you to begin. Welcome to the Story Living Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Kelly, and this is episode six. Welcome. This week, I'm joined by a friend and mentor, Susan Cunningham. Susan Cunningham is a facilitator with the Allender Center. She's a licensed professional counselor. She does soul care, and she also offers spiritual direction. And Susan is a poet. I am so excited to be sitting here this week with Susan Cunningham doing this interview, and I hope you enjoy all of the wisdom that she has to offer to you. All right, Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's just such a privilege to have you here to talk about story. You've been in story work for the longest of everybody that we'll be talking to this season, and so it feels just so uh, precious and privileged to be able to have you here to talk about um, what your journey was into story and what it feels like to be held within the category of story for a significant part of your life. Um, but first I just want to say, I can't believe I've known you since I was 22. We were joking about this (laughs) in the pre-interview and I'm reading this book right now on adolescence and that still technically falls within the category of adolescence. So I've known you since I was an adolescent. That's just wild. (laughs) Well, that's why it's such a joy for me to be here and for me to see how you've grown and developed and matured and become more and more of who you are. So um, it's really fun for me to sit here with you and have this conversation because it feels like, oh, this is so natural. This is something you're meant to do. Thank you. I, yeah, I mean, I think back to sitting with you in that class with um, Bill Wilder. (laughs) And then, um, so, I mean, you played such a significant part for me and just stepping into story work, the category that we're going to talk about here, because I still remember sitting across from you at Shenandoah Joe, asking you about the Allender Center and asking you about the lay counseling certification and you saying, this would be great. Yeah, you could do it. And I bet it would help you with songwriting too. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's go. (laughs) And that was six years ago. Um, it's pretty wild. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I still remember you were in the front row and I was in the back row of that <laughs> class. <laughs> that probably says something about our personalities <laughs> on our story. Yes. Oh yeah. Just, um, I, I just noticed like, as I was thinking about that, I don't know if it's I, not necessarily embarrassment, but just that sense of what it feels like to be seen over a long period of time by someone um, both centrally and peripherally, that sense of, of yeah, having a witness to your story. And so, um, yeah, it just feels so glad to have you. So as we step in, we're going to be talking about 
some, some of the same questions, similar questions, but I think for all of you listening, just to see and notice some of the themes that come up for each person as we begin to engage and consider story. And then some of the particularity, because I think that's one of the uh, two categories that can be really helpful to hold both universal things and also particular and nuanced things and how your story intersects with things that are universal and also how it's particular and nuanced and not to let either of those things discount you to step in. So um, that's part of why I really wanted Susan to be here is um, she holds those categories so beautifully. So so Susan, tell, tell us, like, when did you first realize that you had a story? Well, I'm going to sort of talk out of both sides of my mouth because on one hand, I'm going to say like, I've always known I've had a story um, because I have a really dramatic family history story. Mm -hmm. And so um, my grandparents have a, have a very dramatic story. And so I always knew I was part of a story, like a family story and a generational story. Um, what I have come to know increasingly uh, is the importance of my story, because at, at one level, I wouldn't have said like, oh, my story isn't very dramatic. Like my story is not really, yes, it is a story, but it's not, it's not a dramatic story. Like you wouldn't make a movie of my life. Like I could see, you know, cause I always thought, oh, you could make a movie of each of my grandparents' lives and it, they would be, it would be so riveting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've come to be able to see, oh, actually all stories, when you really get into them are riveting. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes good movies is good stories and knowing how to read and, and notice my story, um, the plot of it, the conflict of it, the tension, the suspense, um, the, you know, the protagonist, the antagonist, like knowing all that has helped me really come a lot closer to understanding the, um, the significance of my story. Mm. Do you feel like, I mean, what I'm hearing is your story started like noticing you had a story started kind of on the macro level and then slowly you've been able to sort of distill down and notice like you as an individual and what that means. Um, when do you feel like you started that shift for you, both the knowing, it sounds like from the beginning, you've known, oh, I've got yeah. the story. Yeah. And when do you feel like the shift to the particularity of you started? Um, I remember um, reading a book by Frederick Buechner. Um, I think it was called Listen to Your Life, maybe. Mm. Anyway, and he talked about very particular things about his story and about his life. and. I began to start noticing, and this was decades ago, that I began to think about the little things um, in life, the the little details that you're talking about, the particular things, like the place I was born, the the kind of things I like to do, the shoes I wore, like the different, very, very um, specific things. And then finding that those actually, those concrete items really become the portal to going in to the bigger things, to the emotions and to the themes and the patterns in my story. So at first I, I really did only want to be like macro and big and like, like large concepts, like love and fear and, you know, insecurity, like the big things. 
but then it's, it's taken a while and, and, um, been an evolution to be like, oh, actually the way we get to those is from the very small details. The things that seem like they don't matter, um, are really the, the doorways in. Mm. Yeah. I just love that. I love, I love thinking about your shoes. (laughs) I I think it just, I mean, in poetry, they talk about that. It's like, you think it's going to be the broad overarching sentences, but it's really the details that feel like where you have the most connectivity to the person and to yourself, I think too. Yes. And what you were saying about the human and the universal and, and also the individual, like holding both of those, as you were saying, because it's kind of counterintuitive. What it seems like is, oh, if we just talk in the universal, then everyone will get it. But it's really like, no, when you talk about the particular and the individual and the details, that's what opens up to the universal. Mm-hmm. And then the universal opens back up to the individual and the personal. So you've got this interplay constantly. And poetry and songwriting is like this, I'm sure, with the images and the specific things. That's why you can listen to a song that tells a story. And it's not your story, but it's someone else's story. But there's images in there that then somehow find its way into our own stories and our own lives. Um, and that's just, I think, a really fun thing that shows the how we're all connected and also how we're all really individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the holding of that. I mean, <clears throat> as you think about story and knowing, okay, I had a big story and I, I was a part of other people's stories and then drilling down into the concept of your own story. When did When do you feel like you began to understand the concept of story work as in like moving into your story and actually doing work inside your story? Well, I will tell you, um, the concept of story work isn't really even <laughs> in my vocabulary. <laughs> like I didn't even know it was called that until a couple of years ago. I'm like, oh, we're like kind of naming this story work. All right. Whatever. <laughs> Um, but I think that, um, it started many years ago when I, um, started looking at my own struggles, really. Um, I was really struggling in my, I'd say my young to mid twenties with perfectionism. And I just, I couldn't get out of, I couldn't get out of the loop. I read books. I you know, I thought about it. I talked to people about it. I heard, you know, Bible studies and sermons about it, but I didn't, I couldn't find my way out until I actually went to go talk to someone. Mm. And so, you know, my first therapist, um, really it was like going into my story, but it wasn't called story work. It was just called speaking and listening (laughs) therapy. (laughs) And it came known to be called therapy, but yes. And so, um, I think that is the whole thing. And that's why I love um, what I was saying about Frederick Buechner's um, whole, like what he brought so much to, to our lives, this idea of listening and listening to your life. And I find that I listen to my life best when I'm in conversation, talking with someone who's interested and who's asking me questions that I can't see, but that they can see um, because they're listening too. And there, and I was just talking to my poetry coach, in fact, literally before this, and she was saying, 
you have the story in your head and you know what it is, but the reader doesn't know it. And so you have to put it on the page for them. And it takes a while to, to, to distill down like, oh, I have to get what's inside me out. And that's what I think um, happens in story work when we have someone who wants to listen with us to us. So that's what really helped me know like, oh, there are depths in me that I can feel, but until I express them in some way, whether it's writing or speaking or um, in some way getting it out, they're going to, it's just going to stay in there. It's the expression of it that really um, allows the, the listening and the work to be to be done because you don't really know what you're supposed to be working on. What story work, like, what am I working on? Mm-hmm. Well, the work begins when there's material, where there's content and how do we get the content? It comes by like speaking it, expressing it, writing it. Yeah. Drawing. And I love what you said. It, it's that sense of being with other people who want to draw you out. Like we're meant to be drawn out and we're meant to draw each other out to come to know more of ourselves and each other is what I'm hearing. And it's just such a beautiful gift in that way. Yes. And I've been really, really blessed and lucky to have people um, in my life who have drawn me out. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned knowing me when you were 22. Well, I met our friend and colleague, Dan Allender, when I was 26. Wow. So I have known him more than I haven't known, like in my life, like I've known more than half my life. So, um, you know, when you have someone who is interested in your story and you are around other people who are interested in your story, um, you know, my husband, my good friends are people who... Um, who love their own story and who love my story and who helped draw me out. Yeah. For you, as you've been engaging with your story and coming to understand more of the particularity of yourself and other people, I'm curious, especially for people who are just coming to this, like what are some of the obstacles that you faced engaging um, maybe both on a macro and on a micro level? that maybe prevented you or felt like there was some resistance to engaging your story? Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I had a lot of shame. I still struggle with shame um, to know that like, can I really say this out loud Mm -hmm. and can I say it out loud in the presence of another human? Because it's risky. And of course, I had a huge desire to name it out loud. I had a huge desire to speak and have someone listen. And so, you know, when the risk is greater, you know, willingness to take the risk is greater than staying quiet. Um, that's when, you know, you're ready. And, and there's that beautiful quote about that, you know, when the risk to stay closed up tight is greater than the risk to, to unfold, you know, that's when, you know, that you're, that you're ready. And I've, I've really come to believe that, um, the obstacles as you're calling them, like those are, those are the things, those are the portals, as I would say it, 
So it's not so much, oh, if only I didn't have this obstacle, then I would be able to go into this area. But it's more like, because the obstacle's there, that's telling me that's an invitation to move, to move in. Okay. So sitting with you is always so much fun. It's like play because that's, I love that. Cause yeah, that's what you're looking for, right? That sense of, <laughs> oh, we're bumping up against that. Can we, can, can there be some invitation to engage with why that's there? That's what I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And not just only why, cause it might even be that it's there. Cause you mm. might not really realize it's there until you go crashing into it. And then you realize like, ouch, first of all, I feel pain (laughs) or I feel surprised. Um, I didn't know that was there. And now that I do, I have to try to find the edges of it to see um, how curious I am. Do I have enough curiosity? Do I have like a little more curiosity than fear to move into it? Because if I do then I'm, I'm very, um, I'm very fascinated. I'm very interested because I don't know what's on the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, and when, when I'm more secure and more settled, I actually really do want to know. Yeah. I love that. I love that sense of shifting from fear to fascination as an invitation through, uh, feels like such a generous way to settle down into some of what story invites you as you said that pain that like ouch I didn't know that didn't know that that was there and that that hurts um Mm -hmm. for, for you as you engage with other people and you've worked with so many people I mean you've been doing this for a long time sitting with other stories um sitting in groups teaching all of that what do you, what have you noticed are some of the, as I said, like obstacles or some of the the portals, if you will, common themes that people bump up against as they're beginning to turn towards their own story? Mm. Yeah, it's such a good question. I think a lot of people are like me and do, they do struggle with shame. Um, I think we all struggle with um, fear. And knowing like, if I keep going further, what will I find? And will what I find confirm something that I've always feared was true about me? I'm afraid might be true and it won't be good. Mm. I mean, I think that's the biggest encouragement about uh, looking at your stories because what you're going to find is yourself and yourself in all your beauty and brokenness, just a lot of glory there. But most people that I sit with, and certainly myself, like we're not so sure. We're afraid that, oh, if I if I go down this road, what am I going to find out about myself? I really don't want to know. I'd rather be ignorant. I'd rather be kind of um, unaware because if I'm unaware, then I won't have to feel bad about myself or, or feel worse about myself. (laughs) Um, and that's the, you know, that's the hard part. It's, it's tempting to, to like stay in a, in a place that's not where we're not thriving because we're afraid to move out. Mm 
We don't know necessarily that it's possible that if I do move out of this place, what else is going to be on the other side, if anything. And, and then when people like, I'll just use it more concrete language to say, like when people do say, okay, I want to think about my childhood, or I want to think about my adolescence, or I want to think about myself as a 22 year old and what I was feeling and fearing and wondering about and get to know our younger selves with this, um, with this honor to say like, oh, and because I knew you when you were 22, like I can easily say that like, oh my gosh, there's so much like vibrancy and joy and like so much yet to be discovered um, that other people can sometimes see in a way that we can't see unless someone kind of takes our hand and guides us through. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I still remember sitting with you, I think at Shenandoah Joe, like the weekend before I was supposed to go to the Allender Center and I was like on the edge of a like a panic attack. And you, you told me, you said, um, just imagine that you have an oxygen tank. I don't know if you remember saying this, you strap it on, you've got oxygen and you're going to go down under the water and you're going to search for treasure and that you have enough air. You have enough air to go down and to come back up. And I remember drawing this little teeny tiny diver on my page. It was like about this big, like that's about how much I could muster of hope. Um, And you can, and listeners, you can't see this, but it's like about an inch. (laughs) That's how big the, the thing was. And that was your hand that you were holding out to me to say, like, it's possible there's goodness on the other side of this. I know the risk is high. And I held on to that. So I think just the what you're inviting and and it's almost an awakening of desire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So I I think that is hard moving through those emotions and and allowing other people to hold your glory on your behalf. Yes, until you can. And mm-hmm. You know, because I knew already about what I knew about you is like you wouldn't be going if you didn't have desire. Like you were, it's, it's kind of that phrase, hope against hope. Mm-hmm. Like, please, I want this. Please let it be for me. And and I really do believe that the things that we want are usually God's gifts to us um, to open up some places that are the next place for us to go in our story. It's like the next uh, turn in the road, the next bend. And so, and it is, I have to say a lot of times it's much easier to see in someone else's story than in yours. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So I could be like, Oh, I'm so glad I said that about the oxygen tank. Totally good. Yes. And I could see it. And it was, to me, it was like, you've got a decent size tank. It was way more than an inch, Um, like good size. I'm like, you can be down there for quite a while. And good thing, because there's a lot to find down there, lots of treasures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, sometimes harder in our, in ourselves is another of the, you know, that pairing of when you are help, are walking through with someone else, helping someone else, you're actually helping yourself. It's, it's a mutual thing. Yeah. For you, as you were moving through story and kind of after you decided, okay, the risk is worth it. Um, I've, I feel the edges. I'm willing to kind of begin to move through. Um, and I think everyone kind of feels a resistance as they are pressing through. I mean, these are not easy things that we move through. What, 
what kept you going? What kept you continuing to come back and to revisit and to re-engage despite some of the pain that is waiting and available as we Mm. step in? Mm. That's, That's such a great question. I think what kept me going is I became really interested. It's like when you're in the middle of a good book, like what keeps you going? Like you want to see what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. And that, that was really, and still is really true for me. Um, one of my spiritual directors um, once told me that I was a forager. Mm-hmm. I, remember, oh. I remember when she said that, I was like, oh, I kind of like that, but I'm, I was like, is that a compliment? I don't know what that is. Like, what's she saying? But, um, and she didn't elaborate. It was really, it was literally as I was walking out of her office, like literally we're walking down the hallway, like we're done. I'm walking down the hallway and she's like, you're a forager. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) good to know. (laughs) But that word has stuck with me. And I think that it, it follows here is that, um, what kept me going is I kept finding things. It was like, you know, the, um, the crumbs were there for me to pick up and they were getting bigger and more of them and they're more interesting ones. And so it was just like, I just kept saying like, I got to pick this up because I'm really, um, I'm, I am riveted by this. Like, I want to know what's going to happen next. And, and I, you know, I really believe God is, um, like inviting us all to the next place that we need to go. And it's not always clear. In fact, I'd say mostly it's not clear. (laughs) So we were, you know, so as I forge, like something drops in front of me, you know, yeah. Sometimes I step right over and go, nope, not, not picking that up. And other times it like literally drops in front of me and I'm like, oh, well, I guess I should take a look, you know? So it is kind of organic that way. Um, But I'm also really postured toward listening too. And because I've done this for so long, um, I already know I'm, I'm getting more familiar with how the spirit leads me. And so I kind of know, I'm still surprised. Don't get me wrong. I'm still shocked, but mostly, um, that the thought of like, there's so much that's uncovering in a life. And this goes back to what I was saying about like the drama and and stories, like, like God is a God of narrative. You know, if you, I know, you know, the text of the Bible is like so much, I can't remember the percentage, but it's hugely narrative. Mm -hmm. And so God invites us to really good stories. And if you just read the book of Genesis alone, I don't care if you only read Genesis, you will find every single possible story in Genesis. Like there's nothing in there that's, that isn't like something that we could relate to now. Mm -hmm. And like God is just, um, and I think God wants us to, to be involved and interested in stories because there are, they're fascinating and they give us life and they bring life to our days, especially if we feel like, um, our lives are boring or there's no purpose, there's no point. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it like flips futility on its head. I think Mm -hmm. there's, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, futility is part of the story. So it's like the futility invites us in to say, okay, 
like, let's look at futility then because futility, if we pull that thread is going to take us to, um, to a deepening of what we wish for, what we long for, what, what's missing, um, what feels like it's just, just outside our grasp. Yeah. When you said foraging, Susan, what I saw was uh, I had this image of you kind of in the forest, lifting something up and and seeing like fruit. Mm. You mm. know, it's it's like finding what is hidden, I think, and and making it more plain even to see. Um, <laughs> and then you get to taste, like you get to and collect. And I mean, there's just so much and it feels it feels both um to me as i said with that word a uh, dynamic like and and mature but also playful like you know children just love like they love to i mean my daughter she's two she sits down she's like that's a snail i want to bring a leaf home you know i mean they're always looking for things and they're so fascinated by the particularity of just what's right in front of them it's yeah really beautiful Yes. And like, sometimes it's fruit and sometimes it feels like it's just a bunch of bugs, you know, (laughs) that just gets scurrying and you're kind of like, wait, wait a second. Um, so, but yes, it is. It's just like, it keeps us, you know, really asking and really wondering, okay, what's, and I'm always asking, what's the meaning? What's the meaning behind this? Yeah. Um, so I love that. What for you, as you've engaged your story, what's been one of the best parts? Like what has been one of the things that has really enlivened you? I mean, you've named some of, I mean, I can see it on your face and I wish you could see, I wish everyone could see your face in this enlivening sense, but for your story itself, itself, like what are some of the places that have been rich for you and enjoyable Mm -hmm. to discover? I think one of the things is just that, um, I couldn't make like any good story and mine included, like I couldn't make it up. And sometimes I, and I'm, I'm old enough to where I look back now and the things that I thought were going to just be like a crashing end <laughs> were, were difficult places that were leading to somewhere else that somehow I, I needed to go down that really scary, broken, crazy road to get to where I am. And so the thing that has been the best part is like, I can see God moving in my life. Mm. And I, um, I wouldn't have necessarily known that the way, the way I know it best is by looking back. Mm. Uh, So that's called faith, but I can look back and see like, Oh, because I'm a Christ follower, I can see God moving. I can see how things that I thought were going to be a disaster or so disappointing actually ended up being um, like hard. I'm not going to say like, they turned out great. Like, no, if it's hard, it's super hard. (laughs) Not like, you know, I'm not romanticizing it, but even that really painful, difficult uh, season or place turned out to be the raw material for the next creative artistic place. And so I think that's just, um, you know, what's amazing about this life is that, you know, like all art, 
and some, you know, some artists do this. They, they have found art. Have you ever seen people? They just, they just find junk. They find mm-hmm. things that people throw away mm-hmm. and they turn it into this amazing art. Or sometimes people do that with poetry. Like you'll have found poems and people will, you know, they'll just alter things enough to where it's different and something new comes. So the best part has been like my imagination has, you know, completely increased my belief in the possibility that um, all is not lost. Like the end is not really the end um, has been, it, it's just given me a lot of hope uh, when, when days have been dark and I haven't known if there really was hope. Um, but knowing that like, yeah, there is, I can't see it right now because it's really, it's, you know, I can't see that, you know, that whole metaphor about you can't see the sun, but it's always there. Mm. And sometimes in the darkest moments, it's really hard to believe that's actually true. And so, um, when you have a few moments like that in your life and you have a decent memory and like me, if you don't have a decent memory, you write it down, or you, write <laughs> you write it down, you write a poem, you tag it to a song so that you can come back to it when you forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sense of reminding mm-hmm. of what's been true. Um, yeah. I just, I love that. If you, if you were going to give your younger self, like your 26 year old self, your 22 year old self, some words, what would you say now knowing what you know? Mm. Um, I would say, um, you were right. Mm. Ooh, can we sit? Okay, I just want to say that. <laughs> that's such a powerful statement. You are right. Mm. Mm. Uh, one of the one of the experiences that I had a lot because I kept a lot inside, um, and I had a lot of self doubt. Um, and then in time, I have this like funny phrase that I was like, I knew it. <laughs> like I knew it. Um, and that is what I mean by like, you, you were right. You were onto something. It couldn't, it couldn't develop at that time, but you had a, you had your intuition was, was right. Mm. Yeah. I love that gentleness too. Like it couldn't, it couldn't develop at that time. That just feels so kind. I think to our younger selves who we feel sometimes I sit with people and there's such a demand to know things they just couldn't possibly know yet. And Mm -hmm. you have to almost move through it to discover it. Mm -hmm. That feels like a very gentle way to say like, there's time. Like it will Mm -hmm. come. Yeah. I, another thing that I always was afraid of is that I was going to be late or I was going to miss out on something. Mm. And, um, and that brought, it still brings a lot of anxiety that I wasn't going to get what was mine. Mm. Um, or I, I hoped was mine really. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know. And so just the thought of like, be patient. You're not behind. You're not late. Um, you, you won't miss anything. You, you won't miss anything that is meant for you. 
Mm. And I think that is like you said, I mean, even if we go through the stages of de- human development, I mean, like child, like it has no concept of like, you know, you're not going to miss out. It's okay. They're like, no, I want it. And I want it now. And if I can't see it, it doesn't exist, you know? And then we have adolescence and then young adult where you're trying to be like, um, where so often we live as if we have to make it happen. We have to make our lives happen. We have to make our stories be a certain thing that we hope they will be because if they're not, then we can't survive. You know, just like you said, mm-hmm. the demand, but I think the demands are like, it comes out as a demand because of fear, mm-hmm. um, because of fear, because of anger, because of, of harm, um, or because of just, I just don't know if I can trust. I don't know if I can trust that this world is going to give me what I long for. And, you know, those are really good questions because often that's not necessarily the way true, but, but sometimes it is. And sometimes the thing that, and this has been true for me, the thing that I've longed for has come around, but most certainly not in the way that I thought it would or should. And I don't want to make it sound like it's wrapped up and some things I'm still waiting for. So I'm still in the middle of, um, and like you said, I love what you just said. You can't know what you don't know. And that's, that's actually part of being human. Mm-hmm. We have limits. We, there's no way to know. There's no way to know the ways our story's ending. And we're in the middle. We're in the middle of our stories. Yes. And I, I think it's just such a, great segue to this question. So I feel like there's times over the course of our life where we're doing beautiful work and you're noticing growth and there's expansion and like you settle down a little bit into the things that you're knowing. And then we're confronted with something that feels like we've been stuck Mm. and there's just periods of no movement and it can be attended by despair. And I'm just curious for you, what are, what are some of the ways that you engage with yourself when you get stuck or when you feel like you're in a holding place? Mm-hmm. Well, I try to notice that I do feel stuck mm-hmm. because sometimes it takes me a while and I don't really know what it, what that feeling is or what that experience is. So I have to drop in. I have to drop into my body, see what my body's holding, whether it's anxiety or boredom, you know, like I just, I just have to check in. And then I, I really have to drop into my heart to be like, what are you feeling? Like, what, what are you, what are you wondering about? What are you afraid of? What's going on? Um, what are you thinking? Like, like just, I try and check in with all three centers of intelligence, heart, mind, and body. Um, and I talk to God about all those as best I can. And then what I usually do is I go to my community Mm. and I just kind of say, um, can you remind me, like, can you, can you see me? Can you hear me? Can you, I'm going to say something and can you just tell me what you hear? Mm. And I ask them to listen with me and for me. Um, and 
I've, I've learned over the years that like, it's not the same thing. <laughs> what they hear and see is not the same thing as me. Sometimes mm-hmm. when I think I'm absolutely stuck, they'll be like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You are moving. Mm-hmm. It's just that this is really hard and you're moving through sludge, but you're still moving. And it's like, oh, I thought I was like smashed up against a dead end. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, they can sometimes see and encourage. Yeah. I think it's such a place that I've noticed. Yeah. It almost creates a frenetic like urgency to get out of. And Mm -hmm. what I hear you saying is maybe an invitation to be with the self that feels stuck and to tend you where you are. Yes. And to know that in that place, God is with me. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like there's no place that I am that God is not. And people for all time have felt stuck. Like, I mean, for years and decades and lifetimes. And so just even knowing that that connects me with humanity, that connects me with, um, I, I take a lot of joy in like the biblical texts and the biblical narratives and the biblical characters And I will often try to find, you know, a character, you know, like Esther or Joseph or Sarah or, you know, Moses or, you know, who Rahab, who, who maybe felt something of what I'm feeling and try to, um, try to just use my imagination in that place. Yeah. And they were all they all had cleverness about how they contended with their stuckness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so great. Um, so I'm so curious. As we, when we think about story, there's a holding of both your past and your present. And then there's this anticipation of the future and kind of living into a story that's being created in the moment as you move forward. And I'm. I'm wondering how engaging with your story has shifted how you see those categories, like how you've engaged with your past, maybe how you engage with yourself in the present and how you hold future um, anticipation or hopes or desires and that kind of thing. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, I think that, um, working with my story has really helped me know, like, what is my default? Um, and my default is, and I didn't used to think this at all, but my default is really living in the past. And so when I, when it came to me, um, over time, I realized, oh my gosh, I keep thinking that the past is better. I keep thinking that like the past was when things were better or good and and it, it really made me think, oh, what if you stayed right now in the present, which there's a lot of, um, a lot of talk and reading that I'm doing on like staying in the moment, because in the moment is actually where the spirit is, where God is, where, you know, like in the moment is where is the only place I can actually be. And then the future is the anxiety So the past might be the dread of like 
oh, if only, but also at least that's over and, and there's some security in it. Anyway, so story has really helped me to stay in the present as best I can and not try to, to have that demand that I know what I can't know right now. Mm. Um, and to, to stay as fluid as I can to stay as, um, flexible. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm a creative person. And so I really value that. And so having to lean into that flexibility of movement and shifting and being willing to change it up or it's, you thought it was this and it's that. And so like you thought you were going left and you've got a sharp right. So now we've got to really um, kind of bend my knees, so to speak, and stay flexible mm-hmm. so that I can make the turns. And um, and that has really been great to, to realize like the present is really all we have. Mm-hmm. And that can be a cliche, but it actually has been super helpful to me to be like, stay here, stay where you are. Stay with Jesus, stay with God here, because this is where you can have um, help in your time of need. Mm. I, yeah, I love that. Okay, so you're an artist, you're a writer. Will you tell us a little bit? And I didn't even ask you this, Susan. I feel so bad, but do you have a poem you'd be willing to read? I should have <laughs> asked ahead of time. I'm sorry. Oh, it's I was okay. thinking about you and I just didn't. So I'm sorry. But yeah. I would love to, I mean, first, I would love for you to tell us kind of about your work, um, both what you do vocationally in terms of engaging with story. And I touched on a little bit of those things, but also your creative work. I think that's such a a beautiful way that you have engaged with story and invite other people into think. And so, yeah, we'd just love to hear about that. And if you want to, if you're able to read. Well, I'll see if I can think of something. Um, Well, that's the interesting thing is I've had several like careers or jobs throughout my life. Like, you know, I started out, um, I thought I was going to be a teacher and then I took a little foray into, um, being a campus in full-time Christian work on a college campus. And then I did become a teacher and I taught elementary school. And then when I was right in the middle of a really strong, successful, uh, career as an educator, I took a turn and decided to, you know, go and get a biblical counseling degree because I was always super interested in other people and their problems. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you know, like you can't help other people with their problems unless you look smacked out at your own. And so, and that was the huge invitation for me. And then I left teaching to become a counselor and a therapist. And then I had a big move and I, um, I'm in a different state now. And so I can't be licensed as a psychotherapist. And so that opened the door that my husband was like, well, what do you want to do? Cause I kept getting all these no's hard no's, um, about, um, you know, being licensed as a clinician here. And I realized, you know, back in the day, I actually never wanted to be a clinician. Mm-hmm. Like that was never my goal. My goal was always to walk with people in their spiritual life. Um, and so I became a spiritual, I got trained to become a spiritual director. Mm-hmm. And then all of that. So like, you can tell like the winding road that 
I never would have, if you told me I was going to be a spiritual director when I was little, I wouldn't even know what that was. <laughs> didn't even, it didn't even really exist. And even when I went, was trained, um, I was like, it's coming to the Protestant world, but no one really even even has heard of it. Um, But then in all of this, poetry kept coming up. And I realized at one point, um, I, I was just looking through journals and I found like all these little scraps of poems that I had written. I had no training didn't take any classes at all in creative writing. Um, the most I had was like part of a semester reading, reading other American poets, but that was it. And I began like this kind of new quest to like develop that part of my life and realize, um, you know, this is what I mean by like, you can't make this stuff up. Realize like that is what has been growing in me all along. So who knows, maybe all this story work, all that there, maybe it was just to get me to the point of learning the craft and writing my poems. Like, Mm. who knows? But so that's kind of my, my new foray um, is to be willing to call and name myself a poet and to write these poems. I'm writing, I'm, what I'm working on right now is a manuscript of narrative poems mm. and it's telling stories um, through poetry. And I'm telling um, my story and my grandparents' story and what it's like to live as a third generation genocide survivor mm. in America and all, all that comes with that. Um, and I'm right in the middle of that. And that's been like such a, fun and surprising, um, way to, like I said, use my imagination and also find out so much about myself so much that I thought was buried that I didn't even know. Cause when I first started out, I was like, I have to say what can't be said. Mm. Uh, all my grandparents, um, survived the Armenian genocide. So they lived with a tremendous amount of trauma. Mm-hmm but we didn't know it. And I mean, we knew it, obviously we knew it, but we didn't know the effects of it. We didn't know the impact of it. And we certainly wouldn't have named it at that time that it could be generationally um, located. Mm -hmm. So I would be, I would say like, oh, my grandparents experienced trauma because they were actually escaped and they were in the genocide. I was born in America. I have had no trauma related to Mm -hmm. that. And then to sort of uncover and um, find the way through my poems. That's been, um, yeah, that's one. Susan, it's so profound. Mm. I mean, that's, I mean, it's exactly where you started, like the the macro to the micro and holding them both together because they really can't be taken apart from each other. Mm. They're not really meant to be. Right. Right. And it's, it's, yeah. And I've really appreciate that about, um, like finding myself, finding my way, um, because I was always afraid that I would get just absorbed into someone else's story. And so to say that, no, like you can explore and ask questions and be curious about other people's stories and still hold your own. And use your imagination. I mean, that's what, like I'm writing this. It's, it's not 
it's based on historical facts, but it's not like a nonfiction account. It's a poetic mm-hmm. interpretation. It's an account. And so like, you're going to, when you, when you read, you're going to feel it through the lens of what it's like to be me and hopefully feel like, feel the experience of, um, of my story. Mm. So that's, that's kind of that. And I mean, that's generations worth of work to get to this place for this to be here. What a gift. Mm. Thank um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I want to, I just want to say too, I think that sense of like, I have to say what has yet to be said. And I remember sitting with you, oh gosh, maybe six years ago, five years ago, and you were reading Sharon Olds and I, you read a poem to, I think it was a very large group, Sunday school group. And you said she was unique because she was willing to tell the stories that had yet been told topics that people were not willing to touch on. And I hear the echoes of that as you're naming this project that you're working on and just how impactful her work has been and how impactful I anticipate this will be for people who are still in the process of finding their voice around that. It feels really big. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's always so when you're talking about creativity and just even just courage to take the next step, it's always so good to remember you don't have to, you're not alone and you don't start alone. And um, again, people like Sharon Olds, like just incredibly courageous um, and willing to say the thing and that you think can never be said. And, and that does absolutely connect um, for me too, is like, you know, being willing to say what can't or hasn't been said. And um, yeah, it's, and you can do that too. And your listeners can do that too. They can say what hasn't been said and they can change their mind Mm. and they can say something different tomorrow. It's not like everything you say comes out in this pristine form that's, you know, like ready to be etched on a plaque or something. It's like, no, it, you, you try it out. I think that's the thing that is really fun about listening. And even writing a poem is like, you do a first draft and mostly the first draft doesn't look that much like, the <laughs> final thing. <laughs> but, it, but it got you there. You needed it. Mm-hmm. I needed it. And, and your listeners need it too. Like wherever they are, is the great place to be. It's the place to start. And then they'll do draft after draft as they, as they move through and they needed to go through every draft because they wouldn't get to where they were going without it. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. Do we get to hear a poem? Okay. I'm just looking right now and, um, um, okay. I'll, I'll read you this one. And this is, this is part of a, a collection that I'm hoping to publish. So it hasn't mm. out. So this is oh, like, we're so lucky. It's kind of vulnerable. Oh, um, thank you. But um, I'll try it. This is called anguish as a second language. Mm. I can speak without my voice. If I want to, I cannot use my mother tongue and still speak anguish my second language. 
our diaspora survived, stumbled over deserts of death, stammered across waters, spoke English haltingly. My grandparents taught me how to translate stress onto syllables, articulate Armenian accents into American syllables. They didn't stutter to spot those who also grasp language like a second chance to clasp and not let go. Armenian cracker bread broke it in pieces like parts of speech, staples to hold on to for life as immigrants must. Four invisible voices traveled across the world en route to the fruitful San Joaquin Valley, so happy in their new country. They spoke no anguish, only gratitude. As they strained over each strange word, it is only the unutterable language, the anguish they left to me. Mm. Wow, I feel it's stunning. Mm. Thank you so much, Susan. I mean, what a gift, what a gift um, for you and for those who meet you in that space. And also for us who feel that commonality of the voice that you're still trying to find that's covered in other voices. Mm -hmm. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for asking such great questions, for listening and for um, really caring and finding your way to like make accessible stories, other people's stories, because other people's stories that do help us open the door into our own stories, um, as you as you started out by saying. So thank you, thank you for doing this, and um, yeah, for doing this series on beginnings. Thank you. I would love. Would you mind telling people where they can find you? Oh right, yeah. Um, well, let's see. You can find me. My website is Susan Dash Cunningham. I think <laughs> I'll put all of this in the show notes. <laughs> I think Susan Dash Cunningham.com. Yeah, Susan Dash Cunningham.com. <laughs> and um you can um you can find me on Instagram at Susan H. Cunningham. Um, I have to start doing, I was doing some live little things and then I pooped out because I started writing and I was yeah. like kind of hiding a little bit, but I think I'm going to come back out and, um, do some more little live little blurbs about stories and poetry and what I'm discovering about life. Um, and you can always find me at the Allender center where I, um, have the privilege as you were talking about of, um, training and facilitating and doing some teaching. Mm. So. so lucky. Thank you, Susan. So good to be with you. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Story Living Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week where we step into phase four of the five phases of healing through story. If you like this podcast and you want to offer us some support, please go to Apple Music and leave us a five-star rating or a comment. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Thanks, bye.